Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Hannah. How are you doing today? Very good uh, and very happy to be here. Let me just start with a quick introduction for our listeners. Hannah Asmussen is the founder of Localize, an all-in-one software to manage international teams and hire beyond borders. Localize has recently raised around $35 million in a Series B round led by General Catalyst. Before we dive deeper into strategies you deployed to acquire your customer base, take us back to the founding aha moment. That's an interesting one because I, I think like that stretches around five years. So I think like the very first steps really took a long time because all three of us are not from the startup world. So there were a lot of those moments where it was about we knew the pain point we wanted to solve, but then how do we actually make a business out of that? And like also how to do the first steps. So that's why I think there were multiple, like maybe one was really about experiencing the pain point ourselves and like getting to a point where we thought, okay, this is something that has to be solved. And I think like then it was actually a lot of conversations with people and like actually people who said, that's a good problem to be solved. There will definitely be a market. Um, so I would not talk about like one moment, but definitely a, a cadence of moments. That's great. So you talked about pain points. Walk us through the early process. How did you know that there's a pain point and how did you identify where to start? Yeah, that's a very interesting one because um, we first experienced the pain point from B2C perspectives. When I was 15, I moved to Argentina. That was still when I was in school. So like everything around visa was less complicated, but then... Afterwards, I did internships in China, um, across Latin America. And like actually that point, like when you start to want to work somewhere, it became extremely complicated and also settling in somewhere for long term, finding housing, insurance, everything around. And that was really the moment where I thought, okay, that should be easy. Like traveling abroad is so easy, but like how can uh, how could moving abroad be so, so hard? The very first iteration was rather something like, how can I help international students? And then there were multiple iterations where I talked to people and then they said, well, students won't pay money. Uh, we have a business model. Um, then we thought about uh, doing something for people who actually work already. And then we said, okay, and that was a perspective that my co-founder Lisa brought in. Um, she worked in HR and she knew how much companies spent on that when they relocated talent. And so that was the moment where we actually decided, okay, that way we have a recurring component HR has a massive pain point there and they're willing to spend money on it and there's no great solution yet. So it came together from different sides. Thank you for sharing that story. In the past year, you grew exponentially and you're now more than 500 companies. Your revenue is six times. You have more than 10,000 people that have moved borders. Take us back to your first 100 paying customers. What acquisition strategies did you experiment with early on? Yeah, I still remember the very first customer. I think like, for the very first customer, like there was literally no strategy behind. I think it was just, we were working on the product. We actually already in that phase tried to talk to te potential test customers, but then realized that they were too big. They were not the ideal first customer because also in Germany, like a lot of bigger companies are very hesitant about trying out things from a very scrappy startup. 
And so kind of like by chance at an event, we came across someone who said like, huh, I think I actually have a, like, I have a person that I want to relocate. Could you do that for, for us? And we're like, we hadn't officially launched, but we thought, I think we could do it. Whatever we don't have the product yet, we can do manually. And so we just did it without a proper pricing and like proper go-to-market behind. And then we just kept talking to customers. And like, I think for the first 10 customers, we probably talked to a hundred others. And I think like then you just narrowed down like how to approach them, what is a channel. But I think like first we really have to do whatever it takes and like have those conversations because otherwise you spend a ton of time working on a strategy that will never work. And so that's why I think like really that try out things, be very scrappy and just look at how do I get to the result? And then you can see, okay, like what actually worked? How can I build a process of that? How do you usually reduce your risk when it comes to such a strategy? Because you're experimenting with multiple customers at the beginning, right? And there's a chance that the sales cycle might be very long. They don't give you the right feedback. You build a feature that maybe one customer wants, the other doesn't want. And at the beginning, every founder has a limited cash. So how do you prioritize all of this? Yeah. I really look at like, A, who's who's really paying and like who's just saying that they will pay at some point. Like that's a very big difference. So unless that's actually a conversation that I have with a lot of founders right now where they say our validation is that a lot of people said that they have a pain point there. But um, unless like they've actually put something in written and like, I don't know, have a letter of intent or like also it's actually like there's a lot of business models where you can try out things manually first. You can just like sell a service that you can later transform into a product. Really try to like validate it as far as you can. And then also try to avoid that trap of going for that one big customer that's telling you one thing, but like really try to verify it with, with multiple ones. So like also initially we went for a lot of smaller customers and that really helped because that way we could figure out what's the lowest end. And like now, for example, the, the first customer that we had wouldn't be someone that we actively sell to right now, but like they really helped us on the path. So that's why I would rather like try to try to go for the ones where the cycle is shorter. You can always go up market. So let's take a use case here. I have a company of around 70 people. How do you reach me? How do you know I'm out there or vice versa? How do I find about localize? Yeah, I think like in the very first steps, it's A, about network, and I think like that's the hard part. Like If you don't have network, um, you have to build it in the industry. So for us, it was good because Lisa came from HR, so she knew a few people around. But then also we did an accelerator program and asked for interest there. And also surprisingly, like a lot of people, when you do code outreach on LinkedIn and actually say, like we want feedback on our product, it's like we look for pilot customers. They are very receptive. So try to build that up and just have a lot of conversations. I think otherwise, and like also, for example, PR, like in the beginning, we try to get PR proactively um, so that people have heard our name because you need a bit of trust and then build up the network and actually also got a few referrals that people heard about us. So I would rely more on that. And I think like it's very hard to get your first 10 customers with paid marketing, for example, because you don't know yet who you're actually targeting, who's your buyer. You need to have those first conversations. So that's one advice that I always really like from Y Combinator. Do things that don't scale. 
Um, so really try to be very close to the customer first, get all those learnings, and then you can transform it into a process. So when do you advise someone to start paid ads to acquire customers? That's hard to say. It really depends on the sector. So for example, we are only getting started now. We relied on outbound, I think like 90% of our customers so far. We had slowly started building up inbound last month. But for us, because we have higher ACVs, we know who we are targeting. So we always invested more in outbound. If, for example, you know that you rather have to go for a bigger group of customers, smaller ACVs, you have a bigger need to build up in mount, but that's why it's, it's very hard to say. Plus, it also depends on the expertise that you have uh, in the founding team. So I think that that's actually an influencing factor that a lot of people ignore. Yeah, because ultimately you need to do the things where you have expertise. And so if that's not marketing, then I think like outbound is the better bet. You know, a lot of people have moved now to remote and there is plenty of companies that are entering your space. How important is both velocity and speed of execution when it comes to you or in any business? And should you trade speed for quality in that case? Yeah. Maybe one caveat there, because like we are not, and that's maybe, that, I think it's a good, it's a good thing Like we're not um, in competition with remote and deal, et cetera. So remote is actually a customer and also one of our best partners, because whenever they have that overlap of, they hire someone in a country for another company and then that person has immigration needs, then we collaborate. But there is more and more happening in our industry. Um, so I do think speed is important. At the same time, I think like there you need to have a very consistent strategy and see, okay, like what is like the piece of the cake that I want to have and really go after that. It can be dangerous to just fall into panic mode and say, okay, like there's a lot going on. I need to grab it all because then there is a risk of really distracting yourself. So we always try to be super focused and like go step by step with like what customer base are we acquiring? Got you. You know, as you're building the company and now you want to scale, what are things that you break? You say this doesn't work anymore. It worked previously because we were scrappy. Now we have to be more process oriented. Did, did you do anything that you broke now and you, you're not going to be using it anymore? Yeah, I think like, it's interesting because I think like also in that scrappy part, that was something where we did things differently because we had like a very long scrappy period. Maybe to share a bit about that. Um, when we started out, first time founders, we didn't come from a sector. So it took a long time until we got the first investment. So there we already had a period where we had to be much more scrappy than I think like a lot of other founders. And then that period actually extended for a bit longer because after our first investment, um, after YC, COVID happened. And so there was another period where we didn't know where our industry was going. We actually raised a smaller seed round on purpose because we were not 100% sure. Or like we actually thought that we could raise the Series A faster. And like we didn't think that a bigger amount of cash would make such a difference. Like COVID happened and we thought, okay, maybe we should have raised more. And so we actually had the first like two or three years where we had to be really scrappy. I think like also there it depends. Um, actually now in Russia respect, I think it would have been better to have more cash because we could have built a more solid foundation. Like now we can, now we have to do a lot of cleanup still, but at the same time, it's a good lesson learned because we always had to look for our ROI, really look at where do we invest things. And I think now you see a lot of startups that just overhired, overspent, and now they have to make those cuts and really clean up their organization. And that's something that we didn't have to do yet. And I also think that we'll never have to do that because it's just a very different mindset. 
knowing what you know today, what are learnings that you would not do again when it comes to acquisition of your first hundred customers? Things that you tried, didn't work, cost you money, probably in your next startup you will not do. Yeah, definitely the part about going after two big customers in the beginning, I think that it's always very tempting. You see a name that's interesting talking to you and you're like, wow, if we would acquire that customer, um, it would make a massive difference. Um, and so you invest a lot of resources in that. Um, we actually have one customer that we talked to, I think like two or three times and like up until now, like they've always been too big, but like in the beginning, we we never actively said, okay, like we don't want to do that. The last time that we talked to them, um, we actually talked to the board and then said, okay, like we still like now we want to say no. And I think like that's just something that in the very early stages you tend to not do, but it's actually a good thing. It takes a lot of courage, but I think like that's also something where you can always say, hey, we can't sell to you right now, but um, you could be part of our customer advisory board, um, shape our product, um, stay in touch, things like that, which is much better than spending a lot of time in the process and talking to them. What are your biggest takeaways when it comes to fundraising, things that you've learned in your seed round and has helped you in your series B and accelerated maybe the raise or got you positive feedback? Yeah, I think fundraising overall is something that you always have a, like investors always have an advantage because they do it every day. And as a founder, you, if you're lucky, you don't have to do it every day. And I think like that's just something that makes it a lot harder. And also, of course, like there are people who are just naturally better at it or who have previous experience. We didn't. And so the first race was very hard because we didn't know how to interpret the signals. So, for example, how interested is an, uh, an investor really? So, of course, in the beginning, they always say, oh, we're super interested. We love what you do for you to give them all the information. And so just interpreting signals, for example, is something that you really have to learn. Managing the conversation and also say, hey, this is what I want. And like really looking at how do I filter out the investors that I want to work with and also say no to some. So I think that is really something where getting confidence and like really learning about how the process works is very hard. And so that's a very big difference between LC Brown and Series B. What skill has served you the most on your entrepreneurial journey? That's a good one. I think my impatience and my interest in a lot of different topics. So I rather like to do 10 different things at the same time and always get into something new versus doing the same thing over and over. And I think especially in my role as CEO, that has helped me. Um, I talked a lot to, our, to my co-founder and our CTO and for her, it's the opposite. Like she's actually really good at like diving into topics. And so that's why she was perfect for her role. And I think like I was perfect for my role because we, yeah, we work very differently in that sense. When you look back at your childhood, were there early signs that young Hannah was going to be an entrepreneur? They probably have to ask my parents. I'm not 100% sure. I think like one thing that I always had was um, curiosity. So I tried a lot of different hobbies. The funny thing is like I never stuck to anything. So I tried something for a year and then something else. That is it's kind of similar for a CEO in a, especially like in a startup, because there you have to reinvent yourself every year. So I think this is like something, if you like to do the same thing for 10 years, that role probably isn't for you. But like, if you like that part about like constantly diving to something new, I think like that's, that's a good early indicator. How do you approach in that case, work-life balance? 
tough one. Not so good, I would say, in the last two years. The good thing is that my husband is also a founder, so he kind of like, he understands it. I think it's also something, it's very hard as a founder, especially in the first three to five years, I would say, to really pay a lot of attention to it. I think that you can, like, you need to get, know your limits. So, for example, I don't mind working a lot. I need to have some freedom. So, for example, like, being able to travel somewhere, being able to have a break in between. So I think like that's just something that you need to know about yourself, if that makes sense. Absolutely. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? That's a tough one. I think making an impact, like teaching people and making an impact, that's something where also right now as a startup founder, you never know where your startup will end up. Like my dream is to do an IPO. I think we're on a good track, but what I see right now is already the impact that we have on individual people's lives. And that's something that I think is the strongest. That's also the one thing that will last. So like you get awards, you get PR, but like the impact that you have on people's lives is I think the strongest thing that you can achieve. One last question, Hannah, what is next for your startup? Seriously, IPO, more growth. Um, We're right now uh, expanding into the US. So that's, it is a challenge. It's a very interesting one. I actually spend a lot of time in the U.S. during Y Combinator, and it's something that I'm personally also very interested in. So that's probably where I'll spend a lot of time on the next 12 months and otherwise trying to make sure that we build the right structures internally as well. Hannah, thank you for being part of our show. How can people reach you? Always on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always happy to get uh, contact requests. I'm trying to build my network internationally right now. And if I can be helpful, um, always feel free to reach out. Uh, Hannah at localize.com. I'm not always super fast to respond, but I'll try my best. <laughs> Thank you, Hannah. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers.